0: bovine it's a very exciting time of the year we get to play nothing but horror games for the whole month.
1: you get to pay nothing but horror games
0: (laughs) you mean you're not gonna touch any horror games this october no you're not jumping on that bandwagon nope
1: nope 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 well there's two reasons why one i just feel like every streamer and there's nothing wrong with this right obviously i think too many streamers maybe are treating the entire month of october it's kind of like a horror games month. So one, I don't want to contribute to that. I mean, there's plenty of great streamers that can handle those games. And, you know, two, for everyone that knows me and my stream probably is already aware of
0: this, I can handle scary anything, apparently. See, but that's how I used to be too, and I've been converted due to Twitch. How, how I that? feel that when you play these games in a setting with an audience, it helps ease you in a bit more like come on now bovan i used to be the same i used to be scared of stuff that wasn't even a horror game and <laughs> last year i was able to beat outlast in one night in the dark
1: okay what i don't understand about that though pete so let's let's pair it back a little bit because one for as long as i've heard you on podcasts, or youtube stuff i mean you're like the horror guy at least for movies right and we could talk about how this is a separation but is that not the case didn't you grow up watching scary movies your whole life as a kid
0: I did. Yeah. I was brought up on horror movies. Uh, I loved monsters. I loved werewolves. I loved zombies. I loved all kinds of monsters and creatures. And so where's the
1: disconnect? How do we lose that from movies to games?
0: Well, um, I think it's just because I always hated the connection of having control over what scared me. And I also think because a lot of games have a lot of jump scare moments, more so than the movies that I like. Maybe that's why I don't like most new horror movies is because they're they're filled with jump scares and I think that's just such a skee- uh, cheap scare tactic. So games, I feel like a lot of the horror games these days are kind of the same way. But I've come to notice that my favorite types of horror games are the very atmospheric ones that kind of scare you not from jump scares, but from... Just the atmosphere itself, like last year when I played Silent Hill, mm-hmm. that was an experience that I really enjoyed because it wasn't really, it wasn't a jump scare game. And yes, it, it was creepy when the the, the you know, the enemies would chase you and whatnot, but I came to kind of appreciate the sense of dread just from the environments alone. Um, but I think, you know, growing up, I don't know what it was, just being in control of The scares in these games, like, for example, I used to get scared playing a game like Tomb Raider on PlayStation 1. Okay. It wasn't even a horror game, but the T-Rex, when it would chase me, I pretty much had to stop playing the game there. Any enemy in Tomb Raider just terrified the shit out of me. (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog, for example. Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Um, The first one, when you're in the, uh, what is it, like, marble zone or something like that, where you're getting chased by lava.
1: Oh, okay, okay
0: any time I get chased in a game back then, like it just terrified the hell out of me.
1: Huh. So was it just that feeling of trying to escape under like duress essentially? Or, I mean, what, what do you think that comes down? Like were you, did the people like chase you around as a kid or something as well? Like no. kind of bred into that or what do you think? That no, comes from? no.
0: I, I honestly have no idea. Hmm. I don't we know need, where it came from.
1: <laughs> we need to bring back that psychologist from last episode. <laughs> Delve into the future. Yes. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> All these years, like maybe it was, I think the 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 final nail in the coffin. Like I played horror games, like I played some of the Resident Evils. Mm-hmm. Um, I played one quite a bit up until you know as far as I can make it in terms of like just giving up on the puzzles when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I played two and three. I never finished those though. But I think the final nail in the coffin was Resident Evil on the GameCube with the um oh,
1: the remaster.
0: What do they call them? The red zombies that like, chase you from room to room, uh, and they're really fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first time I encountered one of those, and they're only in the remake of Resident Evil on GameCube. They weren't in the original. The first time I encountered one of those and they caught me, I just shut the game off and never went back. <laughs> and ever since then, I was pretty much done with horror games. Like, Resident Evil 4, that was also probably another one where... uh in the beginning of the game, the guy with the chainsaw, yes, chases you into like the house, and he like busts in the house and comes up the stairs and just like, nope, I'm done, done with horror <laughs> games. I just I couldn't deal with it. So
1: going back to it though, so you're saying, I mean, it's kind of more related to the quality of the type of square. You know, we're talking about jump scares versus you know something more slow burn in terms of something that's you know creating dread or a sense of dread. I mean, how does that work in terms of because. I mean a lot of the movies like you were saying, right? You tended to watch, I guess some of the horror. I mean, it sounds like you watched all horror movies whether they were jump scare, I mean, or were movies just anything. not yeah, too anything. Anything, right? So that included jump scares, cheap scares as well, but that didn't, you know, did that have any even effect on you at all as a kid growing up in terms of either jump scares or psychological, you know, dread style square? Um, scares?
0: I mean there were moments where, you know, I would be afraid to go to bed at night. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'd have to walk into a dark room like after I got done watching a scary movie or something. Yeah, of course there was that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like the one movie, there were a couple of movies that just mortified me of like complete terror. uh, One of which was always Silver Bullet, Stephen Mm -hmm. King's Silver Bullet. Uh, That movie just always, Jesus. I mean, I watch it now and it's kind of funny what scared me back then. But like that was one of the only movies where I had to like turn my head away or close my eyes at certain scenes because it was just so scary. But I think the, th- the separation is that I'm not in control of the scares in horror movies. Whereas okay. in games, I feel like I'm in control of it.
1: Hmm. So in control in the sense that, I mean, you're basically talking about immersion into the character and, you know, right. B- being closer, more closely attached to the actual terror that's it, being, it's presented.
0: up to me to run away when the monsters pop out of the windows. Whereas in the movies, it's up to the actors to run away. So I feel like just me having to be the one that runs away from this stuff in the game, just I never found it enjoyable back then. And the reason why I think Twitch helped me into that is because I have the distraction of Twitch chat there. So it's like as though even though I'm, I am alone playing these games, I'm not really alone because I have an audience there hmm. cheering me on or watching me. And, you know, I can talk to people as this happens. And
1: strengthen uh, and- I
0: guess that kind of helps bring me into the genre a little bit easier. But, knowing that I have that sort of comfort blanket, yes, we can okay. now refer to twitch as a comfort blanket. <laughs> wrap them all around me,
1: but in a way though, if you think about that, you're talking about how it's it's a better experience for you where you don't get freaked out. And you can actually handle these games now while streaming them with you know your audience, your followers, your twitch members, your blanket. But do you feel that detracts from the way the game was intended to be experienced, though? If probably you, share it, you know.
0: Um, I mean, of course, it would be a lot more immersive if you were playing completely alone in the dark without an audience, for sure. Mm. I remember I tried doing that with Silent Hill 2 a couple, a few years ago. Um, I wasn't streaming. I just felt like playing the game uh, in October. And I didn't make it too far. Were you actually scared? Maybe it was a little too freaky. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm going to be revisiting that this month. But I do feel that, yes, when you stream games and you are making commentary... Um, Of course, it changes your perception, but I I think that's also because Twitch kind of pushes you to play these games because you kind of feel the peer pressure, right? Like, Mm. if you were to play these and you found, it's like, okay, this game is way too spooky. I'm just done after 30 minutes. Whereas if you're streaming and you set your stream up to be like, okay, tonight I'm playing Outlast, you can't just be like, oh, shit, I'm only playing 20 minutes. (laughs) Goodbye, stream. See you guys next time. It's like, no, you're kind of forced to play the games in a way. Because you don't want to disappoint everybody.
1: See, that makes sense. And I mean, another reason why I don't feel like I want to stream any of these scary games, because here's here's where I come from. I really respect like horror movies. I respect them because I grew up in fear of them. I mean, when I was a little kid growing up, my parents or our house, we grew up in kind of we grew up in a regular big city, but it was in a rural part, essentially, because my parents were florists. So we had acres and acres of land and you know, there were basically plastic and wood structures that you know, uh, we built them up and grew flowers in them. So we had this huge amount of land. And where our house was, we had this long road, dirt, like dirt gravel road. And there's no pit public city lighting, right? There's no light posts. It's just like this gravelly dark road. And there there were maybe, you know, seven families that lived down this long dirt road. We were the second to last house on the end. And on one side, we had like a pear field. Like someone had a, you know, field of pears where they would, you know, grow pears and sell them as produce. So there were those perfectly lined up rows of, you know, endless amounts of pear trees. And then acro- directly across from my house, there was just an empty field. I mean, it pretty much was the setting for children of the corn. It was, it was horrible, <laughs> right? I mean, as a kid growing up during the day, it's great. You can go out and experience like countryside almost. But then once the lights go down and then you have nothing beyond your porch light, your imagination as a kid runs wild. And that was kind of how, that was the environment I grew up in. And that's why on one hand, you know, and then my parents were never about, hey, let's sit down and watch, you know, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. They weren't, they were all about blocking me out from anything, you know, gory or horrific or movies. But, you know, in a way, of course, by blocking me out from that, I get drawn to it even more so, you know, more curious about those movies. So my dad, he would love, you know, renting, you know, horror movies, you know, slasher flicks, and he would watch them at night. And, you know, I always knew it was like after we went to sleep and then my dad would go down and he would, you know, watch these scary movies. So I could always sneak down the hallway, you know, hide behind the couch, kind of like sneak glimpses at these movies and listen to them. And all of that just led to building up my complete and utter lack of bravery to watch these movies or play (laughs) these games.
0: And I guess that is a good point. Just the setting of where you grew up, you know?
1: Yeah. and You know what it was? It was because, you know, it was just such a like a taboo thing, I guess is going to get, like I said, it draws me even closer to it, but only close enough so that I burn myself. You know what I mean? It's like being drawn to a flame and burned and then you run away because like everything else, like if I watch a scary movie, even today and, and you know, I, I love the idea of scary movies and scary games. I think it's great. I think building up dread, building up fear, even jump scares. I think they all work effectively in terms of like freaking somebody out and getting them scared, you know, just generating strong emotions. That's kind of what the experiences of what you always want, whether you're, watching a movie or reading a book or playing a game you want to be able to evoke have it evoke strong emotions from you and if fear is one of them that's just one of those emotions but for me I just can't handle it I mean anything that's ever scared me even in the slightest I'll run away from it like crazy so for games you know I've probably played 15 minutes to an hour of every scary game that's out there because I want to experience it but the minute I get into it, I start getting freaked out. I just, like you said, you know, I just had to run away from it. And that's with movies too. Like I'll watch 30 minutes of a movie, you know, and then it'll freak me out and I'll have to back out and read a synopsis later or jump to the ending or something. And I hate doing that, but I just, you know, it's like, I, I want to know what it is, but I have I'm more comfortable like reading about it than experiencing it all the way through. So in a way, I just, I kind of cliff notes a lot of the scary stuff and content around us.
0: See, when I was growing up, I had a local couple local um video stores near me that had very extensive vhs horror sections so it was like a, a weekly thing where my parents would take me and i'd go straight to the horror section just like mm-hmm. forget all comedy psh, drama Dude. action get the hell out of here like straight <laughs> to the horror movies and every week just rent a different horror movie uh you know luckily you know parents didn't care what the hell it was rated just so you just pick out anything i wanted um well what what. Ha- well, What originally happened was they showed me Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Okay. uh, Which was an old classic horror movie that had the actors Abbott and Costello, which, you know, they appeared in a lot of uh, comedy movies back then as the duo. Um, I wish I knew a little bit more history about them, but they showed me that. But it also had the universal monsters like the werewolf and Dracula and Frankenstein and Mm -hmm. Wolfman. Um, So it had a little bit of a comical twist to it with Abbott and Costello, but it also had the real sort of like universal monster feel to it as well with the the scares that those movies would bring and it was a great pairing and they showed that to me as my first sort of quote-unquote horror movie ever which i still believe is one of the greatest horror movies of all time like Mm -hmm. seriously if you're a horror fan you have to watch that film it's such a, a coming together of all the great monsters back then um with a nice funny twist to it but they showed me that and i loved it and they were like okay maybe we should you know show them a couple more horror films and then that's kind of where it evolved to <laughs> showing me stuff like the original Night of the Living Dead, and you know, of course, Godzilla. If you would classify that as a monster, or I would, I don't know, if, I wouldn't say creature horror, feature but,
1: it's more.
0: Yeah, like a, creature feature. Uh, and then you know, kind of graduating to stuff like American Werewolf in London, were some of the earliest kind of like just to, to paint the scene here of some of the the earlier horror films that I'd watched. Um, and then of course I'd go to my grandparents' house. Now, <laughs> my grandparents were huge huge vhs collectors like Mm -hmm. when i tell you they like every single week my grand my grandparents would go to a flea market and there would be um there would be like a vhs dealer there where he would have you know illegally selling new um movies that would always come out like burnt onto uh, vhs Uh but he would also sell you know actual real vhs so needless to say every single week My grandpa would come back with like 10, 15, sometimes even like 20 new VHS movies. So I'd go over to my grandparents' house and it wasn't just playing video games because my grandpa was a, he played games, but it was also watching horror movies. Now they were a little bit more protective over like what I watched. So if it was a scene with like some nudity or whatnot, you know, of course I'd have to turn my head, whatever. But (laughs) yeah,
1: but turn back to the bloodletting, right? (laughs)
0: Exactly. They didn't care about that. They were just like all for it. So I'd watch horror movies once a week, renting with my parents uh, and I'd go to my grandparents' house, like, I don't know, once every two weeks, once every month or so, and have a smorgasbord of more horror movies there, which is where I discovered a lot of the really great films that I, I, I always remembered growing up watching. Like, that's where I discovered Lucio Fulci's Zombie, which is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and just mm-hmm. so many countless others. And it was kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, reminiscing when they did pass away, and, you know, family had to go to their house and clean out their basement, It was just astonishing. Thousands upon thousands of horror movies. I mean, not just horror movies, but VHS in general. Mm. Crates and crates and crates and crates. Unfortunately, a lot of it was stored in a basement, so mildew Um, and mold was a factor on a lot of them. However, I pretty much picked over the entire collection. I must have went through... It was very tiring, um, but I must have went through, with help, um, a couple hundred... Yeah, I would say maybe three or four hundred crates of VHS movies <sighs> um, and picked out all the horror movies, many of which I remember watching when I was younger. And, you know, they're in storage now. Uh, it's just the amount of time it's going to take to go through them and test them and see which ones might have mold damage is quite the daunting task. But you just can't throw that stuff away. You know, not yeah. just the memories that I have of my grandparents, but just the memories I had watching the films, and it's like a piece of history. Some of these VHS movies, the horror movies, are really rare and hard to find. Some of them go for, you know, some of the ones I picked out are like $30, 40 50 $60 each. And, you know, how can I just toss that out? You can't.
1: Yeah, it's starting cause... to become a big collector. Well, I guess it has been for a while, but a lot of those, they just, uh, like, I'm sure a lot of those masters from the studios, they either lose them or just don't care about them, throw them away yeah. even. So maybe this may and, be And the that's why destiny. so many
0: that's why so many VHS horror movies are so hard to come by mm. is because a lot of them never made it to DVD. So they're, they're kind of sought after collectors items. And I remember last year I was researching horror VHS, you know, of course, right around the time when I was inheriting all these movies. Cause I, I absolutely, it's just the collector in me. Like I absolutely love the box art on these movies. It's oh, just for sure. It's, it's there's something about owning them on a Blu-ray and owning it on the original VHS, there's there's such a difference, you know. It's as though owning a reproduction of a Super Nintendo game, mm-hmm. or owning a real Super Nintendo game, like with the box and manual, it's just not the same, you know. Um, maybe that's not the best kind of comparison, Mology, but yeah. just having these huge boxes and it goes through going through the era, like the 80s and the 90s, were notorious. For having, especially the 80s, for having like these gigantic cardboard boxes with the plastic trays inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely enormous boxes. And the reason why they did that, especially for horror movies, was because they needed to get noticed on the shelves. Yeah. Needed to How do you stand out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you grab someone's attention on the shelf at a rental store? Put your horror movie in a gigantic freaking box with the most gruesome. Over exaggerated art that you can find. You know, most of the time you'd rent these horror movies, and it was kind of disappointing as a kid because I would rent these movies in hopes of seeing all the blood and gore based on the cover. And then you get nothing. home. Yeah. It's like 80 <laughs> minutes of filler story and then like five minutes of the gore that you sought after. And well, like, that was the
1: thing you're talking about the video store. Like I remember going to the video store and obviously, you know, since the horror section, it wasn't like behind blinds or anything because it wasn't like the, the pornos or anything, but it was, it was horrific scenes of graphic violence, you know, very and like, they, were, they were all there, but that was the best part. Like for me being very, you know, very taboo for me, but still kind of like the times I was at the video store, that was the time I can kind of jump in and dive into checking out all of these movies, reading the stories on the back cover, checking the really horrific violent scenes that they picked out on the front, usually with a scantily clad, you know, hot girl or something showing yeah. some eye or some dress. Usually silent.
0: like a, a maniac stabbing out her eyeball. Like there were some really graphic freaking covers. Yeah, there were. If you ever research like most graphic. 80s or 90s like horror covers Man, I'm bad. telling you there is some real messed up stuff out there
1: well I remember you no know, when you mentioned one of your favorite ones was the original uh, like the zombie movie like the cover for that has the most horrific looking zombie on the, right on the cover
0: right? oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> I, I was in high school sporting a shirt of that cover <laughs> Like, people must have thought I was the creepiest. They must have been like, God, that Pete, what the hell is that kid into? (laughs) Because wearing the cover for... If you're curious what this looks like, just Google Lucio Fulci. That's L-U-C-I-O-F-U-L-C-I. Zombie cover, and you'll see. It's it's quite gruesome. Make sure
1: it's an hour after you eat lunch or breakfast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just just to visualize it for you. It's just this, like, really... really grotesque rotting corpse where it's just like blacked out eyes, no eyeballs. And there's like some worms and maggots falling out of one eye. And he's still got some teeth kind of like dangling in there with the, the brownish earth still attached to his decaying skin and bones. Like it's
1: seriously, it gives Greg Nicotero run for his money today. The walking dead makeup, you know, (laughs)
0: it's really, it's, it's it's really good. And funny enough, the, the kid that actually played that zombie in the film, he was like, it was like a 15, 16 year old kid that played that zombie in the movie. I thought that was always kind of fun. Oh, really? Um,
1: <laughs> no age limitations, I guess. I think you just have anybody, hey, go be a dead corpse with all these rotting like, organs and entrails coming
0: out of you. I was, I, you know, it's so sad though because that video store that I spoke of where I went every week to like rent something, mm-hmm. not even joking, Like they have been in business up until about a month ago. Uh, really? Maybe like, yeah, about a month ago. They, And here's the kicker they still sold and rented VHS VHS. movies. (laughs) Rented. Because they downsized. They used to be in a larger location, and then Uh they downsized to a smaller store. Um, And then I guess just eventually
1: (laughs) the business of
0: renting and buying VHS. I mean, yes, of course, they had DVDs. They had Mm -hmm. Mm Blu-ray. But they had a very extensive collection of especially horror VHS. So all those old horror movies that I used to be into. A lot of them were still available for rent, and I I went in there. Uh, fortunately, I caught them right before they went out of business. Now the store wasn't set up, you know, as it as it once was. Like the mm-hmm. shelves are already kind of like being torn down. But I went in there and I was looking through. I'm like, damn, this is like the end of a of, I would not even an era, it's just like an end of a, a childhood generation, memory. Right? <laughs> yeah, like a generation. And the funny thing was, though, what did I buy? I bought four Blu-ray movies <laughs> from them. So it was sort of like <laughs> Way to archive the affirmation. Past there, <laughs> yeah, It's just like reaffirmation of like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's time to put the VHSs to rest for this store. I, I, of course, all the good stuff was picked over and I'm sure the owners of the store kind of took most of it home for their own the personal collection, stuff, I would assume. Or, yeah. But I just thought it was kind of ironic that I'd go into a VHS rental and uh, for sale store and buy some blu-rays
1: and that was the original rental place that you visited as a yep. kid then yeah wow
0: not the original location they yeah, changed locations downside. um it was because it, it was up by like a card store that i went to and i just saw on their window store closing and i'm like oh my god i have to go in here <laughs> and yeah it was you know sad because there's probably never going to be a place around like that ever again that's renting vhs movies uh, you
1: go in there and you buy blu-rays Yo, can i have babe the city pig or <laughs>
0: yeah it was it was sad but uh i don't know horror for me when it comes to movies now it's just even it like remember everybody was like riding riding it over how freaking uh, amazing that movie are. apparently yeah. was so i yeah. like i bought into the hype i went to the movies to see it and it's just a jump scare movie. Like I don't Here's the thing. I don't mind jump scares. Mm-hmm. I don't mind if there's some jump scares in the movie. That's fine. But all that movie is is just jump scares.
1: Is it really? That's really disappointing. I mean, I was a huge fan of the book and I loved the TV miniseries. I thought they captured a big element of the story. And then I heard that the movie was getting a lot of good reviews too. Now, I couldn't tell whether the good reviews were coming from book readers or just moviegoers, right? It's hard to tell these days and a lot of people don't. Put that up front.
0: But. Well, maybe my opinion is kind of jaded because I've never read the book and I've mm. never seen the original TV series. Ah, so going into it with a fresh mind and not knowing the story itself and the characters and, you know, how it plays out. Um, was it a good movie? Yes. But I just feel like people are so. It's almost as though people, in order to get a good horror movie these days they expect it to be filled with cheap scares the jump
1: scares you think that's and i felt the... like that
0: this movie is just so predictable you see it coming from a mile away every scare in the movie i was never scared once
1: but it's like that eighty twenty rule right you're talking about the average movie guru who probably enjoyed the jump scares because that's that's what they pay for that they go into it expecting it they get it and they're like okay good movie for me right so i don't really i'm not going to talk bad about this movie because yeah. it delivered what i expected
0: It's a lot of teenagers and, you know, people that just go to have a good time and they enjoy the jump scares. I get it. People like jump scare movies. But for me, just because I grew up on those 80s and 90s horror movies where the scares were not really jump scares. It was just the fear of the unknown, you know, not seeing, you know, the scariest things in those films were always what you didn't see. What you don't see. Rather than what was shown, you know, maybe it was just a shadow peering around the corner or a scene where someone dies but you don't see how they die and you only see the aftermath like sometimes that can be more terrifying than you know always having a freaking clown jumping at you every 10 minutes in a film you know
1: yeah i mean i think the last couple of movies that i saw that i'm thinking of now that i actually had the stomach to sit through a little bit like the ones i think i can sit through and amazingly enough it should be the opposite but It's all, it's like, you know, these movies that are, you know, regular human-on-human, like, you know, crimes. You know, those, like these home invasion ones that are really big in the last couple of years. God, Mm -hmm. those are disturbing to me. I can watch those because it's not going to be something, well, I mean, it potentially can. But in a lot of those, it's not really jump scare related. It's more of this foreboding sense of just having your... Privacy in invasion of privacy because it feels violated. real because it feels like yes. it could happen to you. Yeah, those are the ones that I mean, I know that they're not going to be completely terrible in terms of the original scares that I grew up with with the unknown. It's just knowing how you know terrible people can be, those are the ones I can watch through a little bit. But in a way, they leave me with a sick, you know, kind of feeling pit in my stomach, not really a pleasant feeling.
0: <laughs> what was the last one I saw? Oh, uh, god, what was it? Get Out or something. Or- Mm. what the hell was it? not get out oh wait was it get out it yeah get out from
1: key and peel or, or no where was it
0: it was that it was the one where um
1: like the african-american couple had the,
0: the, i don't remember the names but it had like the black actor and his wife mm-hmm. and they went to like old, the mother's house
1: and it's some old white like Ku klux klan style town or something
0: like that yeah yeah, yeah something like that that movie took me by surprise i really enjoyed that movie really? like you can't speak about it uh, without spoiling it, so mm-hmm. I can't really say too much more, but I'm telling you, like, if you're if you're a fan of horror, suspense, thriller movies, and you're looking for something completely different that kind of, like, bends a lot of genres that you would not kind of be expecting, uh, you need to see Get Out. Oh. I, remember, I remember a lot of people in my chat were like, oh, have you ever seen Get Out? I'm like, no. No, and I just kind of, like, wrote it off, and then one night I just watched it, and I was like, wow. That was really damn good. So, you know, it takes a lot for a uh, quote-unquote horror movie if you want to call this horror to impress me i more would definitely thriller, call it horror right? you have to see this movie
1: like a thriller more of a, it seemed like that movie was more i can't say oh, okay.
0: i really can't <laughs> say anymore without spoiling it but it's uh it's something i'd recommend
1: i mean the last movie that like really saw. took me by surprise was cabin in the woods i really thought that that was something because
0: I, I really enjoyed that
1: yeah i had no idea what it was i thought you know i i just heard that a lot of people were saying there was a decent movie. Not much. I tried not to spoil myself. You know, similar to games. I just don't want to read too much into it. So I started watching the movie and it feels like it's just like your standard slasher teen movie. I was like, what? Why are people talking about this movie? And mm-hmm. then halfway through, you know, they throw the twist at you. And then as it continues on to the end of the movie, I thought, wow, this is, this is the kind of movie that needs to be more common, right? I mean, I, and the fact that obviously it stood out was probably because it tried to do something different, which you know, obviously people cut on to it, but I mean, that kind of, I wouldn't even say it's like genre bending in a way. It was just completely unique in the approach and how it tried to, you know, give its unique story. I mean, it just had a unique storyline in general just to begin with. So,
0: i I felt like Cabin in the Woods was sort of like a love letter to horror, horror fans, fans that grew up with horror movies. Because, you know, towards the end of the movie, when the big reveal of, you know, what, what is going on, mm-hmm. and I am i won't speak to it too much, because since this is October, I'm assuming yeah, there's probably a lot of people watching. that are doing a lot of horror movie watching, and if you've never seen Cabin in the Woods, uh, both of us would definitely highly recommend it, but, you know, you eventually come to the big twist, and you realize what the hell's going on, and you're like, wow why did it take someone so long to yes. think of a movie plot like this? Like, <laughs> was this is exactly genius.
1: Thing. I was like, how the hell does this not exist up until this point? So definitely one worth watching for everyone out there. But
0: I mean, Can you recall what the last horror movie was that you watched that you had to stop watching? You that I had to stop watching?
1: Yeah, God, I think it was – I think someone – well, vividly I know like – and this tells you how long ago it was before I watched like the last scary movie. But I was watching – I remember – I think it was right out of high school or something. Like I went to a house party with a bunch of uh, like friends right out of high school. And um, we sat around, you know, did a normal stuff, watching TV, playing games, playing whatever we're doing. And at the end they wanted to put on a movie. I think maybe it would have been Halloween time, but they ended up like someone rented a bunch of movies or they had a bunch of movies. Oh, everyone needs to watch this one. They put in Hellraiser. I think it was the first Hellraiser. And Mm -hmm. I think it was the very first, I'm not kidding you, maybe five minutes into it where I think Pinhead walks out with like the Pandora's box and he comes out in the first scene. I was like, nope, I can't do this. I <laughs> just, I just stopped right there. I was like, I'm not going to be able to handle this. I can tell you right now. So I, that was the last one I vividly remember. There's been a bunch since then, but they, they kind of just come and go in my mind. But yeah.
0: There's a, there's one horror movie that I recommended to everybody on stream today. And uh, I just watched this movie for the first time several months ago. Uh, I've had the Blu-ray for it for a while, but it's, it's a movie called house, not, Not the 90s horror movie. Uh, I'm really bad when it comes to years of horror movies. But not that horror movie where it's got like the zombie hand. The disembodied hand. ringing the doorbell.
1: See, you can, you memorize that though. Not the movie itself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I saw that movie when I was younger and I, I don't remember too much about it. I thought it was okay. I just remember liking the monsters. But Mm -hmm. there's a Japanese movie called House from 1976, I believe the year was. Uh Uh, Someone told me in chat tonight. Uh, But oh my God, is that movie a trip? like seriously if you're into sort of like psychedelic horror and you want to see a take of it from japan like it is one of the wackiest and zaniest horror movies i think i've ever seen just watch it i'm telling you i I think it's on youtube potentially but if not just i'm telling you get the blu-ray rent it somehow watch it somehow house the japanese film from 1976 uh just just do it you know it's it's a movie that is best watched with others like, I will tell you the next time I hang out with my friends, I am forcing them to watch this movie. <laughs> I don't care what they say. What is
1: with these Asian cultures and their freaking scary movies? Good lord. It's
0: not even scary. It's not They're even a scary...
1: psychologically scary,
0: though, right? It's... It- bovine, I'm telling you, you've never seen a movie like this before. It's not psychological... It's not scary in the slightest. It is... What? Just a... A rainbow of horror is the best way to put this film. Like, it is over the top. I can't say anything about it without spoiling it, but let's just say that a bunch of girls schoolgirls go up to, um, I think it was uh, their one of their aunts' mansions like up in the woods, mm-hmm. and things just go batshit insane. <laughs> I'm telling you, just watch it. It's not scary at all. Even if anybody out there that is not a fan of scary movies, you can deal with this, believe me. Okay. Just get a group of friends together, find a way to watch it, download it, buy it, do whatever you got to do. So if you're going to spend your Halloween or October watching one horror movie try and watch this one and if you're a fan of comedies this is not really a comedy per se (laughs) but it could fall into that category (laughs) yeah
1: i'm gonna read the synopsis about a third of the way through and then i'll decide if i can watch
0: it (laughs) yeah no that's my safety just don't spoil it don't watch any youtube videos no no no. youtube videos will spoil key scenes
1: interesting how see the year is what scares me when you say seventy six. That tells me, you know, because it's kind of like you think about those movies back in the day. They had they had no boundaries, no holds barred, right? They, they got away with so much stuff that they really can't get away with these days. So it always worries me when you think about when you're pulling movie titles from back in the 70s and 80s. You never know what to expect.
0: I mean, this one's in the Criterion Collection, so oh, at least okay. maybe that'll add some there credibility to the film. <laughs> So that's that's all. Some people need to hear. They're like, Oh, Criterion! All right, I'm there.
1: <laughs> Is Criterion still doing their deluxe, super like editions of movies these days? I remember that was huge. I, I used to collect DVDs. I
0: don't know. I never really, I never really buy Criterion because it's just so damn expensive. Yeah, like when I bought House, the movie was like thirty bucks or something crazy. Poof, thirty, thirty-five. I don't. Oh, know. I just don't a, have that kind of move, money. But it was a,
1: it was a Blu-ray master,
0: though, huh? Yeah, Blu-ray Criterion. I bought it at a horror convention. Nice.
1: Well, there you go, people. Get your get your scary movie on. I can't. I you will not get any recommendations from me for scary movies. Like I said, unless you want to hear the first five minutes of every scary movie they made in the last twenty years. So.
0: Did you ever find what that horror movie was that you keep dreaming no. up about the little saucers on the God.
1: beach? God, yeah. So, so for anyone out there again, if you want to help, I will bovine divide out. So, okay. And this may be a half-remembered dream, but I swear to everyone out there, this is a real movie. So I remember it was one of those evenings where, you know, I was a kid, went to sleep at 10, know that my dad, was, you know, had rented some movies, he was going to be watching scary stuff at night. So, you know, I do my usual routine of creeping out. Because most of the time, I would get lucky, and my dad would be asleep. I'm pretty sure he just rented movies to, like, fall asleep at night, since he had to get up really early and work out in the fields, but... It was one of those evenings, you know, movies in, I can hear it going, you know, slightly hushed tones, right? He turns the volume down not to wake up the family, but I can hear it going. So, you know, I wait for that telltale sign to make sure that he's either snoozing or sleeping. So maybe I can take a little bit of an extended look at whatever the horror movie of the evening may be. So I creep out there. He's good. He's nice and asleep. So, okay. So I hang behind the couch, peek my head over. I'm, I'm taking into, I'm taking this movie in. Now, this is what I remember very, very vividly. And whether it's true or not that the remains, but there's this movie I've been looking for, and the only reason I want to see it because I want to know that it actually exists and it's not just a figment of my imagination. But I remember seeing this scene, and it was a movie where it looked like a normal '80s movie beach scene with a lot of you know pretty people running around and skimpy outfits and having a good old time on the beach, and then everything goes batshit crazy, like. What happens, the main part of this movie, and I don't know whether it was at the end or in the middle or the second or third act, it, may, it felt like maybe a second act type of scene. Maybe like the... the, You know, there was probably like an early death early in the movie where one of these creatures came out and killed somebody and went away and nobody knows what happened. So now you're getting into the second act where a larger number of people are going to be exposed to this. Not quite the huge finale. But what I remember, was a beach scene, normal people hanging out on the beach, and then what would happen is that there would be these little... <laughs> like hand-sized saucers. They looked like mini UFOs, but they were organic. They were, they looked like kind of mutated crabs or oysters. And they had these spinning razor blades that would spin around the orbit of their body. And they would just, they would kind of dig themselves out of the sand. They would rise up slowly and then just like take off like a shot and just start, you know, cutting into people, severing their heads, severing their limbs, cutting into their bodies. And everyone's running around like crazy, freaking out on the beach. And, that that's the one most vivid scene I remember watching. Cause then of course I was freaked out as a kid and had to run away back to my bed. But the one thing I remember is that the colors were really, really off during this scene. Now I don't know whether it was an effect based on the movie. Like maybe they were going all psychedelic during the attack to kind of emphasize the attacks of these like foreign little spinning crab monsters. Or it could have been like an early movie that was turned into technicolor with really bad effects. Or, the video was a really bad video, and it was just distorted Cut. I don't know. It could have been any of those things, but I remember that scene very vividly, and the colors being very, very off. So if anyone has any clue as to what this movie could be, please send us, send me a note. Send it to Retro Game explorers at gmail.com. Jump into my stream. Tell me what this movie is, because I've been killing myself for the last, I don't know, 32 years of my life trying to figure out what the hell movie this is.
0: Yeah, and I remember one time you put out like a distress call and you had like a group of people really searching for what the hell this movie could be and there were some really close leads yes. of like alien saucer attacks on a beach mm-hmm. that was, was found in movies, but it's just still not the same one. It's also potentially maybe not even a movie. Maybe it was like a show, like a little oh, like mini-series potentially. Something I late night, the night, possibly, I know, right?
1: Like if you think about, like I remember if i pour back to those days of running through the horror aisle at the video rental store like i remember i mean you know as a kid you probably over exaggerate but i swear there were hundreds upon hundreds of movies that had super interesting covers really cool synopses on the back that i felt wow these are all like great movies and hopefully i can watch them like there's so many that i i've probably forgotten more than i remember that exist out there and just it's Even now, as I pour through, like, if you go through, like, IMDB lists of people renting out, you know, even if they try to list out obscure horror movies, like, it's all the same, right? You get that same top 100 or top 200, and then you get your same bottom 200, but all those thousands of titles that just sit meandering in the middle that, you know, have interesting plots or cool creature designs or weird CGI or some rubber effects, like, God, how many of those are going to be lost to time
0: that we'll never be able to see? So you mean to tell me that if someone were to, like, request that you play a horror game, you wouldn't play it? So Not what if what it. if someone were to, like, physically send you a horror game and they're like, this is my request?
1: No, I mean, I tell them. I say, hey, I'll send it right back. I mean,
0: like I said. <laughs> Don't even accept it. No, Return I mean, mail.
1: like I was saying earlier, I really think that, in order to fully experience the mo- you know, the game, right? If it's a scary game, I think it's meant to be experienced, you know, in the best setting possible for a scary, you know, game. You want to fully merge yourself to kind of give the game creator that, you know, you want to give them that decent try of letting it affect you emotionally. So... Even if we take like an original horror movie that wasn't, you know, let's take the first Resident Evil because the first Resident Evil for PlayStation one, I mean, that was, it was a huge hyped game, right? Like the hype leading up to it was massive for the PS one. It's going to be like a genre bending game that came out with voice acting, cutscenes, super violent scenes, gore. Everyone was like in waiting in line to grab it. And I was there first day I bought Resident Evil first day, you know, Took it home, and I played it probably, I don't know, halfway through the first. Now, I have to tell you, the most horrific part of that game was the inventory management system. Like, the constant backtracking back and forth. I think that might have what it what it was that killed me in that game. But in all honesty, like, that game, playing it in the proper setting at night, you know, under the cover of darkness, and just walking slowly from room to room, listening to the zombies groaning. Like, I really thought the sound design in, in Resident Evil lent itself to give you a very creep me Creepy atmosphere Mm -hmm. to work in, and I think it worked really well. But you know, I got to a point where I was probably just freaked out too much, and I stopped playing. So,
0: I think one of the scariest scenes in a game ever for me was the first encounter with the zombie at the dead end hallway. Where he's
1: munching on somebody, uh,
0: somebody. Yeah, he's gnawing away, and they play that cutscene, and then he starts to chase you. Like that scene, for for me, was always scarier than the dogs. That was just it, just terrified me. Yeah, because when you play that game back then. You don't know what to expect, and then you enter that hallway and you see the first zombie and it's just it was just terrifying. To me, things that chase you slowly are just worse. as scary as yeah. things that chase you fast.
1: So, what is your take on slow versus fast zombies in movies? I mean, I've seen it done effectively both ways, but...
0: The only... Movie I've really, really enjoyed and really scared me with the zombies are fast. Is Twenty Eight Days Later, mm-hmm. yes. with the zombies, if you want to call them, they're zombies, which they're not. Even where they're really fast. But or... I've always been more terrified of slow zombies because hmm. there's just something about people getting chased by things that are just like Mindless. walking at a snail's pace. <laughs> it's just I don't know what it was. It just always creeped me out. And it, I don't know. I just don't. I don't think zombie movies days are... I don't think they live up to the caliber of, you know, rest in peace uh, George Romero, who passed away, you know, what was it, about a month just ago? A month if ago knew. Right? Uh, even his more recent zombie movies, like, he tried to capture the magic of his original films in, like, Diary of the Dead, Land of the Dead, and all that stuff, but they just never, they never live up to it. You know, people are not really into that traditional style horror anymore. They, they want the fast jump scares. They want, you know, if there's going to be a zombie movie, they want the running zombies. I can't even recall the last time a zombie, a true zombie movie was in theaters. But you just don't get that anymore.
1: <laughs> well, can I mean, you? I,
0: I don't remember what the hell the last zombie movie was in theaters. What was it?
1: I don't know. I mean, I watch, I'm a pretty big fan of Walking Dead. So I've been continuously watching the TV series and the spin off, you know, Fear of the Walking Dead. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like where I'm getting my zombie fix. And they tend to have pretty much like the slow kind of plotting, more kind of in your yeah. strength in number of zombies. So, you know, you can kind of get your fix there
0: i guess but man i'm telling you i've kind of fallen out with walking dead i used to be a huge fan of that since season one and what happened the past season or two i don't know what it is maybe it's just because i just keep weighing it against game of thrones and how amazing that (laughs) show is i mean they're two different shows sure well you get zombies there too don't forget i I, I think the drama aspect of walking dead is just getting to just the fact that every episode now just feels like a, a drama show and then it's like oh Zombie shows up, shoot it, okay, onto the drama. Like, it just, it really feels like they're just injecting a zombie into every episode For just to fill yeah. that that need that people need to, like, just see a zombie get killed and then just get on with the drama.
1: Yeah, kind of like the zombie kill per week just to make sure you still remember you're watching a zombie show. That has They have fallen under pretty heavy criticism over something like that, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still like the show, but I'm not as attached. I think season one is, like, one of the strongest seasons in that entire show. Yeah, just I mean, that I first episode, that the, first, sort of-
1: the first episode, the fact that they just pulled it right off of the comic and captured, like, every scene perfectly, like I thought that was just, like, the biggest opening for a show that they could have done, and they did a good job.
0: Yeah, it, it did a good job of setting the scene, and, you know, I don't I don't follow the comics, so I didn't have anything to base that show off of, so it kind ah, of okay. blew me away even more, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, how could you watch how could you watch uh, Game of Thrones without reading the books? How can you watch Walking Dead without reading the comics? It's like, well, sometimes I enjoy, because I don't watch a lot of TV Mm -hmm. or, you know, any kind of television shows. So anytime that I'm able to watch a television show, the more it can blow me away and surprise me, the better. Whereas if I know certain things are going to happen, and I know they're loosely based, I know that now, yes, they're sort of, Either, you know, with Game of Thrones, it's ahead of the books or crying out loud. But still, like, sometimes I like not knowing anything. Kind of just getting immersed in the show based on just the show and not the book.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I've been following the comic book from, like, issue two up till the current one. I mean, it's still going on now. I guess Kirkman's saying he's going to be ending it pretty soon and maybe within a year. Mm -hmm. And where they're at now. I mean, it's, it's cool. I think the cool part about Walking Dead was that, They did follow the comic as a framework, but then they kind of just changed it a little bit for the TV show. Not just, like, they moved characters in different spots. They even introduced new characters that don't exist. But Mm -hmm. it was cool that they were they would, even if they would fork off into, like, a new storyline, they always did callbacks back to, like, big scenes from the comics. So I thought they did a pretty good job of you know, kind of remaining faithful to the comics as inspiration, but then doing their own thing. I mean, it worked out pretty well. I'm still a pretty big fan of both the comic and the show, but I can definitely see why people, especially if they only follow one or the other, they would fall into kind of like a malaise with the show and just be a little, I mean, that second, that third season where they went to the farm or whatever that oh, just bored God. the hell out of
0: so many people. <laughs> I'm sure they lost a large majority of the audience. <laughs> of fan base that had there, Yeah. But uh, I've heard, back, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, um, I, mean, I was going to finish off and then jump into games, unless you had something more on the TV show or anything.
0: No, no. Yeah, we can we can get back into
1: I mean, so getting back into the games, I mean, like for myself, I mean, I do my best to kind of keep track of horror games. I mean, and like I said, one of the biggest things is I, I do eventually feel I will get over this hump of playing scary games. I'll actually grow like a spine, you know, and be able to play these things. Or, you know, maybe I'll cave and start playing them on stream. But I really, you know, like I said earlier, I just feel uh, it'll ruin that excitement. But I, I, I'm I, always very interested in what they're doing in the horror genre for games like that. So along the way, I've bought, you know, all the horror games, all the Silent Hill, all the Resident Evils, all the lower, all the lesser known titles. I actually just picked up uh, Dimension 2 for the DS today because I heard that it does a really good job of, you know, setting mood, atmosphere, and is a decent game for the horror yeah, genre and for the DS.
0: It's, uh, it's a very technically impressive DS game. Yeah, uh, so, the first one and the sequel are both yeah. very... And I heard,
1: I heard the sequel really kind of takes things in a weird way too. So hopefully it's going to be a game worth playing. And actually, I'm looking... I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll cave in and play one DS horror game or something like that. I'm not sure.
0: There's but, there's not many to choose from. Yeah. So good luck. Because <laughs> when I was doing my research for what to play this October, I mean, it's just... It's kind of sad how many horror games actually exist on, on real... Uh, console system platform NGAGE 2.0 you know what I mean
1: <laughs> so wait, in terms of the scary games though I mean were you finding it difficult to dive into like the past libraries to look for games to play like were you like kind of scraping the barrel or you feel that there's enough to kind of pick those um,
0: I was trying to look for titles that aren't like so well known it's like okay I'm not just going to sit here and play like Resident Evil and <laughs> Resident Evil and more Resident Evil. You know, I, I was trying to find stuff that's different, so I I was really surprised at just how few horror games there really are on console. Now that might sound weird. You're like, but oh, there's a lot of horror games. But when you really start doing your research and digging down into things outside of main series like Silent Hill and Resident Evil, and mm-hmm. I don't know what's like some other mainstream kind of horror titles that are not on PC.
1: I mean, Fatal Frame, I guess, could be yeah. one series as
0: well. I mean, outside of the stuff like that, I mean, D- see see how we're just struggling to think of, and I'm sure horror fans are, like, screeching <laughs> over, like, series that we're forgetting about, but just as an example, it just goes to show you, like, how hard it is to think of horror games outside of, you know, the ones that you're typically used to. So I was doing a lot of research and, like, really digging down deep to find some, you know, interesting stuff to play. And I think I'm getting to that point now where, like, in a year or two, I'm just going to be forced to kind of play, like, Retray. those jump-scare PC games because I'm pretty much going to be out of a lot of interesting console-based horror games to play. Well, that's fun. And I was trying to really find horror games that are not just focused on, like, third-person or first-person shooting. Like, and it's really hard to find horror games that are not, you know, just a clone of Resident Evil.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was a formula that made a lot of money, so obviously there was a lot of copycats that jumped on. I mean, you had your Dino Crisis, you had Parasite Eve, Fear Effect, and they all pretty much kind of copied after the Resident Evil formula, which isn't the worst thing, right? You take a established game engine and set up and you know, just sprinkle it up with your own taste and then release as new games. So even with those games, I mean, and they wouldn't really be straight horror, right? Like they're more thriller possibly or maybe even adventure if you get into Dino Crisis,
0: but you know, Dino Crisis is a series that I haven't played. I'd be very curious to see where it ends up on Dino Crisis 3 on Xbox, because I know that was an... Um, but I, I never played... I, I played the first Dino Crisis, I think I played like a demo, but not enough to even remember it. But Resident Evil with Dinosaurs doesn't sound bad to me. <laughs> is, that really, is that considered a horror game? I guess it is, Very right? Action. Yeah. Is it more like action than horror,
1: though? I would say it's action thriller. I, I mean, because she's, what, the... The girl, she's armed to the teeth in most of that game, so it's not really that, that scary mm-hmm. horror element, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. One of us should play it and find out. That'll be you. <laughs>
0: no, thanks. You can you can battle the T-Rexes. I still have nightmares <laughs> of <over> tumor. <Tomb> Ra-
1: <laughs> the baby version of your T-Rex nightmare. I like that.
0: So uh, I guess we can get into some games that we've been playing recently. I guess you can start, Bovine, if you have few yeah. games you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I mean, you
1: know. let's see. So if we take a look, I mean there's a couple games that I picked out that it's kind of stood out to me the last couple of months in terms of streaming. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I actually played what did I play? I played this game on the PlayStation 1. It was called Let me make sure I've got the title here. Rising Zons. Rising Zone. Uh, yeah, Rising Zone, the, the one? Samurai yeah. Gunman. Yeah. Now I asked Chad, or I, t- I asked Moodoo specifically. Now, he said that you played this game quite a while ago. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I streamed this game several years ago. It was kind of like before um, I started really getting into Twitch. So, you know, it was, it was quite a long time ago, but I, I really enjoyed it. it. I mean, I guess you can talk about it, but the best way I can sum it up is like is if No More Heroes was a PS1 game in a <laughs> Western a, setting. Yeah, That's the best way I can think of this.
1: I was thinking possibly god hand on ps1 with again western setting but
0: yeah this is it, it oh sorry go ahead i was no. just gonna say it's very impressive for a ps1 game because there's absolutely nothing like it in terms of style on the ps1
1: Yes, not only that. I mean, here's the thing. It's like for most of these games that I've been playing, I I mean, this one I picked out, Ran. I think this was a lot that you picked out, or there was a lot that you recommended someone to pick up on one of your eBay streams. It was just one of those games tucked away in this 30 game PS1 lot. And I remember grabbing it. Never knowing anything about it, never heard anything about it i don't remember seeing this in fact, I thought when I looked at the when I looked at the cover, I thought it was an import title just because of the way like it's set up it doesn't look like a typical u s release and then I got it home, decided to pop it up on stream, so really went in there completely blind and yeah, I was completely blown away by several things one that the style of the game is very persistent and very you know thematically you know present everything it's doing is very kind of like tongue-in-cheek a little bit more humor a little bit more the edgy stuff that you see and like a title that you would that you had mentioned like no more heroes so that's the first thing second was that the technical ability of the game itself was pretty well well i mean it was you know i I mean i can't remember what year this was this says it was 97
0: probably i i'm not sure
1: what is that, three years into the PlayStation 1 life cycle? So I usually tend to <laughs> I tend to judge the games based on as you go through their tutorial, if they show the analog sticks on it or not. So because this one didn't have it, I thought, okay, probably an earlier release, PlayStation 1 game. But the, the engine itself, the world, the way it's rendered, and the way things move, very fluid. Like everything moves very solidly. There's no slowdown. Things move at like proper speed. You have proper weight of everything. Nothing moves too fast or too loose. And then third... The amount of technique that they give your main character, like the number of different styles of attacks that you have, unbelievable. Like this game, as I started playing through it and going through the tutorial, just the fact that I had so many moves at my disposal and things made sense. Like you could deflect back shots with your sword, you can shoot them at a distance with your six shooter, you can combo them with like normal melee style attacks... I mean, there was so much going on in this game, and I was super impressed with the way it ran. I was super impressed by the storyline, the themes, and just some of the enemy attacks. They were just so over the top. Like, I remember there was this one stage where the object was... The object of the game is that you had to... I guess the enemies, they had set up a, I don't know, kind of an auto automatronic treasure chest that was full of bombs. And it was slowly walking you know, its way through the level. So it was making its way from point A to Z you know A to Z. And when it got to Z, it was going to self-destruct and bloodless. So your job was to basically take it down before it got to that spot. And I swear, this is like the second game in like a month where I ran into a level that was like that. I don't know what you call that. It's not a time attack level. It's more of just like a timer based level where you have to stop something before it gets to its goal. And I had this problem in Finny the Fish where I had to like run around and like retrieve these like herbs to take it back to this otter but the the window of time that i had to be able to you know pick up the leaves and swim all the way back because as you swam you would drop these leaves and you had to get there with like a certain number and i swear to god this sequence it was like the <laughs> toughest run i've ever had in like my gaming life it was unbelievable how stupidly small the window was to like get to the goal and i barely made it in the fish and then i'm playing this level in rising Sun, and it's the same thing again Like, I'm trying to attack and do damage to this walking chest, for lack of a better term, before it gets to the goal. And every single time, it's like, cause you're dealing with enemies as you're, as you're trying to take damage to it. It's, it's giving you, it also puts up a barrier where, you know, you have to defeat all the enemies of the area before you can move on and catch up to the chest and take it out. And I swear, again, it was one of those sequences where there was just like, you had to do everything so precisely that you barely had a couple seconds left at the end before it reached this goal. But it was the kind of level variety, and that was just one level. And then in other levels, they've got just the craziest boss designs. Level design was great. I mean, I think the, the mid and the end boss fights were some of the best ones I've seen, especially for this era of PlayStation 1 games. So... I mean, very unique game, very enjoyable, very easy to play, and just highly stylized. I would definitely recommend this game to anyone out there who's looking for kind of like a very, you know, it's not too expensive of a PS1 game, too. So I would highly no, recommend it. No, not
0: really. It yeah. will be, though. I'll tell you, though, that is the type of PS1 game that once PS1 collecting, once people start digging in the PS1 a bit more outside of RPGs, that is going to be a game to keep your eye out for. Yeah, it
1: was very It just surprising. oozes
0: <laughs> it oozes such style that yeah. it's just not typical on PS1 and it 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 really feels like a game that should cost more than what it does. Yeah. It's it, as weird as that sounds.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. When and even at the point where I picked it up, I was surprised that I mean it was in that lot of course, but even looking at individual prices, not too bad at all for PlayStation 1 era games. So, highly recommend Rising Zone.
0: So hearing you talk about Rising Zon like that reminds me of when I played Akuji the Heartless oh. uh, on stream about a week or two ago. And that was a request that I had. So I was like... I didn't have it. They requested that I played it. And I'm like, okay, I, I kind of want to play this game anyway. So I had the, I had a hard time seeking this game out. I was very determined to get it at a convention, and I eventually did for $10. But I'm glad I finally did because, man... Well, here, let me put it to you this way. The first half of Akuji the Heartless. And this was developed by... Uh, What was it? Oh god, the developers did um, Gex, Crystal Dynamics. Hmm. Yeah, so it uses the Gex 3 engine, which (laughs) let me tell you, was a little bit of a problem. The camera in in this game was not the greatest, but it uses sort of like a tribal theme, where you play as sort of like this voodoo doctor type uh, character, and you go through these Amazon rainforests and these underground temples and sort of this hellish cave that's filled with all these skulls and man i'm telling you the first few levels in this game were so promising it was like blowing my mind at how i had missed this game for all these years because the level of detail the amount of attention the detail in terms of textures these unique patterns on every wall all the enemies were different you know just just the way that they'd throw in these little touches of um of details into the levels that is not typically seen in, in ps1 action games This one level that will never leave my mind now when it comes to most technically impressive PS1 scenes, but there was this one level at night in a thunderstorm with rain pouring down, and you walk into this underground tunnel, and there's gaps in the ceiling of this tunnel, and the rain is coming in through the the, the holes in the ceiling, and it's being illuminated by the moonlight. I was just like, holy shit, like this is... And there was no slowdown. Seeing a PS1 game run this smoothly with the amount of action that was going on, with rain just pouring all over the place, and this really great sort of, like, I like to think of it as PS1-style lighting, you know, that kind of lighting Mm. where things are just unnecessarily lit (laughs) up with, like, purples and greens and pinks and blues and stuff. You know what I mean, right? They really love to show that off, yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love those kind of PS1 games, I really do. I I just love unnecessary sort of... Wasn't uh, one, of those first,
1: of uh, one of the first demo discs, right, didn't it have that, that, it was the T-Rex that you can rotate around, but it had all that unnecessarily lighting. It looked like a dinosaur in the middle of like a disco floor.
0: <laughs> I love that stuff. I, <laughs> I love it when they sort of try to incorporate that into a game because, you know, a lot of PS1 games, if they're not proper, properly lit, they can look sort of dark and yes. drab. So I like it when a game can get away with adding in color, so... Coogee the Heart was just absolutely blowing me away. The voice acting, oh my god, the voice acting is so good for all the characters. Um, There was like this voodoo doctor guy that was kind of like guiding you in the hub world that is just so dark and menacing and you don't know if you want to trust him or not. Uh, Eventually the game just got to the point where I couldn't finish it anymore because this is a pet peeve of mine, but I hate games that do. Games that gate your progress based on how many collectibles you found. So Hmm. I made it like four and a half, almost five hours into the game or so. And then it's like, oh, sorry, you want to go to the next boss? You can't because guess what? You didn't find enough hidden collectibles throughout the last five levels. And guess what? You (laughs) need to replay them now and not just replay them and find collectibles, but you need to finish those levels from start to finish.
1: Wait, wait, wait. You can just backtrack to collect more or find
0: the missing items? You go to previous levels that you played, and then you have to find hidden collectibles that you had missed. Ugh. And then you can't just find them and then, like, say, back out and save. You have to replay the whole level from start to finish. And some that's of these levels ridiculous. are not short. Yeah. that's yeah, of so, a
1: pacing killer. God, why would they do
0: that? However, this game also fell victim to, I think, a budget issue <laughs> where the first several levels were just amazing and then all of a sudden it just hits this brick wall where the levels just turn into this really standard action platformer fair where it lacks the personality and the details that the first several levels had it just became such a mundane boring not boring but disappointing level design uh and yeah it really was too bad because i was i was about ready to put that game up in like top 20 you know if if it had kept going the way it did with the first few levels but it quickly disintegrated into just you know a very mediocre action game unfortunately i'm still glad i played it and i would still highly recommend anybody that's a fan of ps1 just buy this game for the first few levels and you'll see exactly what i mean
1: yeah the voice of the Kuji was richard roundtree who i guess was shaft from the 70s movie the the african oh, really? detective yeah so there you go presence in your
0: game um I'm just giving a quick look over. I guess I'll run through all my games here, and, and then you can run through the rest of yours. Yeah. Um, I also played some Rockin' Cats. I know last episode we were talking about a lot about NES stuff, and I've been playing a lot of NES. I can't recall if I talked about this game on the last episode, but I, I don't think I did. Um, where it's a game developed by Atlas. very rare. It's, like, what, one of only two games developed by Atlas on the NES, that mm-hmm. and Wacky Races. Uh, and it's a platformer where you play as a cat that has sort of this uh, spring-loaded hand that he uses the grapple onto things. And I didn't realize until the end of the level that there are weapon upgrades <laughs> that you can get um, and also, like, just upgrades to your character in general. Is that the I, one
1: where I, you didn't find the store until, like, level 3 or something like that?
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't find the, the store until the last level of the game. No joke. I thought <laughs> it was... Because um, you have a level select, mm-hmm. and it goes, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, S... So I just thought that S was sort of like mini games because they also had mini games. I honestly I didn't know what S was and I just avoided it until the end of the game. I'm like, you know what? What is this currency that I'm getting? Maybe it's not just for points. And then I go and there's a shop where you can buy one ups, you can buy power ups. It changed the game entirely. Um, but I will say though that people that speed run the game, they really don't even go to the shop anyway. So it was as though I was speed running already it already practicing kind of, the speed because running. I didn't use any power ups. <laughs> <laughs> but Rock and Cats, it's just a shame that this game is so rare and expensive because it's such a fun mechanic where you use this grapple arm and you pretty much fling yourself around the entire game. There's a lot of. You mm-hmm. can grab onto pretty much anything in the game, any kind of obstacle that is in a level like a street lamp, uh, an overhang, anything. Like just oh, I thought
1: they were much. predetermined items that you can only swing off of
0: then or attach um, to. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a bit though, I'm telling you, like, there's so many things that you can attach to. When you, you don't really realize it until you watch the speedrun, because the speedruns pretty much fling themselves the entire game. And it that, gives you a new appreciation, and also a new appreciation for how hard speedrunning that game is, because I attempted to, to do the route, and I just gave up because the, the timing that you need to do the flings correctly was just too intense for me to do for an entire speedrun of that game. But it, it is really fun. If you enjoy games like, um, Bionic Commando, like that style of sort of grappling and swinging around. Rockin' Cats? I mean, that would be right up your alley. It's got the Atlas charm to it. There's a lot of little kind of funny uh, scenarios with the bosses and the enemies. A lot of person. One thing I love about NES games are NES games that can inject any kind of personality into, not just your main character, but the enemies. My favorite thing is, like, when he does his little... Like, if you grapple onto something and you flip and you spin in the air and if you land and if you don't move... As soon as you land, he does like a little happy face and he puts his arms up like, ta-da, I did a flip <laughs> sort of thing. And any NES game that can kind of just make you kind of smile at animations for their characters or the enemies is just, it's really fun. They did such a great job. Every boss was memorable. The yeah. game is quite challenging, I will say. Some of the bosses, if you're playing it blind, may take you a bit to finish. Um, but man, I'm telling you, if you're a fan of platformers, and platformers with a very fun grapple mechanic, you have to track down yourself a copy of Rock and Cats Got or it. play it I, in any means. I have that, to try you know. it then
1: because the funny thing is, is I was watching you play it. Like I was looking at the grapple mechanic and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, buying a commando talking about it because the way I looked at it, it looked like a really. I don't know, like stiff and awkward way that he was able to, like the rocking cat grapple mechanic worked. Maybe it was just because I was watching it not playing. It probably feels better when you're playing it, but I don't know. It looked kind of stilted. And the fact that when you grapple, you would just kind of like loop around and then wait until you can let go and then, you know, shoot off at an angle. Like it didn't look like I mean, like it was very that's
0: <laughs> that's kind of what it boils down to. But if you think about it, it's just a, the grapple mechanic is just all about timing. You mm-hmm. just have to learn the timing of it. So. Okay. You know, if you're looking for a very loose and sort of fluid um, grapple, you're not gonna find it here. This is more about <laughs> you grapple and you start spinning around in a circle and you just need to let go at the right point. Got and then you know, you reach certain heights that you normally <laughs> you normally couldn't. But I think I think if you're kinda worried about that, bovine, watch a speed run or just watch a portion of the speed run for this mm-hmm. game and you'll see the way they fling themselves around the level and, and you'll looks be like, very Wow. Accurate, huh? Yeah, it looks it just It'll make you look at the game in a different light. Whereas if you play it normally, because you can play that game normally and barely ever kind of grapple, or it's mm-hmm. not necessary. But if you watch a speedrunner, it's sort of a spectacle how they how they get through this game. Interesting,
1: because I do so, love yeah. Bionic Commando and that grapple mechanics and the fact that like I heard Rocking Cats had something similar. I was really looking forward to it. And I saw you play. I was like, ah, eh, it looks okay, but I'll have to try it out.
0: The other NES game that I wanted to highlight just real briefly is Ninja Crusaders, which I finally beat on stream Mm because that game was hard as shit. uh, Because it's a one-hit-kill game. And the best way to sum this game up, or at least how I hear from other people how they would sum it up, is like, in poor terms, you would call it a poor poor man's ninja gaiden. But it's pretty much... I mean, I guess you can put it that way, because you are playing as ninjas. It has very... (laughs) similar sort of like, okay, you're just running and slashing kind of thing. It feels like a very sloppily put-together action game on the NES with one-hit kills. I know that sounds like a disaster. But there's a, <laughs> something about the charm of this game where you can turn into lions, you can turn into dragons, you can turn into eagles, you can turn into scorpions. Uh, if you're playing blind, you're probably going to turn into all of those things, but when you know what you're supposed to use, you're mostly only ever going to use dragon once. The tiger once. The eagle once, and that's it. No Scorpion, <laughs> CP, unfortunately.
1: Last episode, you almost pretty much sold me just on that tagline where you're a ninja running around and can transform into eagles and tigers and dragons. And then I saw you <laughs> stream, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So
0: I clear. mean, unfortunately, the game is a little uncommon, so maybe it's not worth the price tag. But now that I finally finished it, I can say it's a very fun romp through a short NES game that is mm-hmm. perfect for speedrunning. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're looking to get into speedrunning especially NES speedrunning, this is the perfect game because it's got that perfect balance of challenge and routing and it's just uh I don't know, it's really fun. It's got some RNG to it which can be kind of infuriating. Cuz I did do a test speedrun run on stream where I like kind of like went through the speedrun route and I was still struggling really really hard to kind of beat the game. So uh, I just wanted to recommend that one more time. And the last game that I wanted to talk about for NES Famicom stuff is a game that I was very happy to finally play, and that was Mitsume Ga Toru, ah, which yes. is uh, the Three-Eyed One, I believe is the translation of that. Uh, it's a Famicom exclusive developed by Natsume, which I knew right then and there, Like there are some developers that I just see their name on a game, and I'm like, okay, I can trust that and know it's going to at least be a like an 8 out of 10 game, because it's Natsume. And it, it didn't disappoint. I mean, it was a really great platformer. It, um, it's based on a manga and an anime fan that probably no one's familiar with. Neither was I. And you play as this kid with three eyes. Don't ask me what the hell the story is. You go through five levels. So the game is fairly short. Took me a couple hours to beat because it was, it's got some challenge to it. Um, but the, the coolest mechanic of this game is that you have this, this staff, like this polearm that you toss. And it's, think of it as sort of like a Frisbee mechanic where he tosses this pole arm, it goes out in front of him, and then it comes back to him. And if you jump over it, it'll bypass him and just continue off stage. But you can do some really neat tricks with it. Like, once again, another game where if you watch the speedrun, you're just like, wow, I didn't even think to do that. Uh, it's just a shame they didn't use the mechanic a little bit more than they did in the game to kind of force you mm-hmm. to use it because it's just so damn cool. You, you can jump on it, so you throw it. You can throw it in the objects. You can... Uh, You can jump on it and sort of get a higher bounce off of it. You can use it to throw into enemies to deal more damage. Um, You can also shoot things out of your third eye, so that's where all of your different weapon shots come in, like a three laser beam. That's how they use the third eye. Got it. A spread shot kind of attack. You know, a couple of different variances. The game has great, like, just everything you would want from an NES game. Great music, really colorful, bright. Vivid graphics, character sprites and stuff that are just really well done. The bosses especially uh, looked great. Just the right amount of challenge. Uh, the levels don't last too long except for the last level. I'm telling you, that that final boss. Whew, Rough. Goddamn, that guy gave me some trouble. Uh, but if you're looking for a, a different kind of NES platformer with a mechanic that I don't think I've ever seen in another platformer of that time with the, the sort of pull-arm pull tossing mechanic, you should give it a look. Now, unfortunately, this game is very rare and quite expensive. Like, a cart is going to run you at least 100 Se- So I would say loose. if you can play this in a reproduction form or ROM, you know, do whatever you gotta do. Give it a try. I'd highly recommend
1: Yet another game that Pete made me spend 75 bucks for on a dirty, loose cart. So.
0: Oh, did you pick up a cart of it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a really, really no, great game good. that I feel like is going to raise in Rising price once more. People catch on to its uh, existence.
1: Well, being a fan, I couldn't even find a repro card of it. That's how like under the radar it is right now, I guess, in a way. So, that's hurry up and get your copy now. But yeah, it was a great. It was it was too bad that they didn't force you to use those mechanics of the of like using the pole as a platform or anything like throughout the levels like they seem to be reserved for kind of like the boss yeah. fights in a way
0: which just very few instances in the levels where you're kind of forced to use it but you can get through most of the game without ever ever using the pole arm oh, mechanic which is bad. a real shame because yeah. it's so fun and so unique Um, I just have two more a couple games here I'll just really briefly talk about I played Fortnite <laughs> on the PS4. I you mean PUBG, PC version. right? <laughs> yeah, I played PUBG cartoon version. And I've never played PUBG or uh, Unknown Battleground. I've never played that game before. Um, I played uh, H1Z1, so I do have an idea of how those games work prior to Fortnite. But I have to say I really enjoyed Fortnite. The reason why I wanted to play it is because the graphics just really appealed to me. Very bright, very uh, vivid. Just the sky hype in that game was unbelievable, so I was just kind of drawn to it. And I felt like I was pretty successful with it. I mean, my first night, the only night I've played it, um, I played it for several, like, six hours on stream. And, you know, I, I I can't, it's a hundred player, basically you're dropped into this world map, and it's a huge arena that takes place sort of like, think of it as the scope of something that you would find in a normal, like, single-player game, except Mm -hmm. in a multiplayer setting with green fields and homes and factories and whatnot. hundred players are dropped into this, they can they, they airdrop from the sky, and you all pick your starting location, and it's just a race to find weapons and blow up the enemies and just try and be the final person to survive, finding supplies when you it's a kill new people. Genre, you right? Right, they call it
1: King of the Hill, but they seem more like Battle Royale, I guess, is the more. Battle, Battle, Battle
0: Royale Hill, right? is. Yeah, Battle Royale is the genre. Um, and I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's been a while since I played a third person shooter, so it took me a bit to kind of get my bearings on the controls, but I was placing. In hundred-player games, right? like the highest I made it, I was in the top two. I came down to a one-versus-one brawl, that unfortunately I wasn't really familiar with the building mechanic because yeah. it was only in my second game. And I that guy came in second place, out. I came in third. <laughs> I came in fourth, and multiple times I came in top ten. But man, like I was, I was doing quite well. I must say, I was kind of impressed because it's was, been a while since i played a shooter.
1: There was that one round where it was like, I think you were, it was the last three and some dude was in a tree and what, can you explain to me what the hell happened? Like he suddenly started building a house and that prevented you guys from being able to get to him. Like, I don't know what the hell happened.
0: There. Um. Yeah. So there's a building mechanic in this game. And that's kind of what sets it apart Crafty. from other battle royale games mm-hmm. where this game was originally sort of like a, a horde type multiplayer game where you would just mine for materials and build forts and defend the monsters that would come and invade. So they kind of turned it into Battle Royale, and they transitioned the resource-hunting mechanic to the multiplayer, which is free-to-play, by the way. But This Battle Royale version is free-to-play. So you, anything is destructible in this game. Homes are destructible. Trees, if you hide behind a tree, you can just shoot the tree and it blows up. The person is like... <laughs> Their cover is blown. You can you can hack through anything in this game. Brick, metal, wood, doesn't matter. You just hack it all. You get materials. You get wood, brick, and metal. And then you use that to build platforms and staircases. So what usually happens at the end of the game is people build a huge fort, Like especially in the top like five or top ten. People will kind of hunker down into the final area because you have this circle that slowly encloses to prevent people from camping mm-hmm. in this huge map. So you kind of have to always be on the move. People will build a fort towards the end of the game, and I I was still pretty new, so I wasn't familiar with how to build fast and anything like that, so it was the final three of us left, and uh, somebody built sort of like this fortress up into the sky that was, uh, you know, pretty much he was he was stuck in a corner of the map, whereas if he, <laughs> he backed up a little bit, he would start dying in the, the fog of war, I guess, that was slowly closing in, but that's basically what it was. He was up in the sky, and the final guy once I die, I just shot down his forward and he killed him. Ah god. So, you gotta does be it, careful, you can't build too high.
1: <laughs> does it ever does it ever give you a, <laughs> do you ever get a smile on your face when you play a game like that and then you get you know, you get people coming in and they're shocked at how good you are at those you know third person games i mean a lot of them if they don't know you intimately or not listen to everything like intimately
0: they <laughs> or they know me right
1: <laughs> well yeah but i mean they don't know maybe your history of being like a badass socom player right back in the day i mean i don't
0: know how much to attribute my socom skills to third person shooters I'm sure but a lot <laughs> i i mean the thing I, I mean i guess it has to be something right because i watch people that try and play this game and they mm-hmm. struggle to even break you know, top top, 50. top 25 yeah. consistently, whereas my second game, I'm placing number two. So, <laughs> I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I, I guess to some degree, I mean, I guess it just comes natural where I, I prefer third-person shooters. Mm-hmm. So for me, I kind of felt at home playing a game that, you know, sure, the aiming was not like SOCOM, but I just sort of had that mentality of when to move and when to camp and, you know, where to look and where to expect people to be coming from. It was pretty. In, it was enjoyable. I mean, the most satisfying freaking kill I had in this game. I was in a house in the middle of a lake. I'll never forget this.
1: Kill. <laughs> this is the booby trap.
0: <laughs> it was the it was the trap where we're in that this house in the middle of the lake, surrounded by water. It's just me and this one guy. He comes into the house. I was there first, but he he ends up in the attic, and I'm like, I can hear this guy walking around <laughs> up above me. So. The, unfortunately, the surround sound in this game is not the greatest. It's mm. really kind of sometimes deceiving in terms of where someone is based on what you're hearing in your headset. So I'm trying to pinpoint where this guy is by, based on his footsteps above me. So I shoot out the floor to the attic. Lo and behold, I shoot out the correct floor. The guy comes dropping through the floor, and I just light him up with a <laughs> shotgun or a regular AR, uh-huh. kill him, steal his epic weapon, and just made my went on my merry way. I was just like, man... <laughs> this game is on to something because of all the the uh. building destruction like it was just so satisfying to kind of like play cat and mouse with this guy blow out the floor beneath him he dropped he didn't know what the hell happened and just lit them up I was like, God, that is just so amazing I, don't know. I,
1: I I get a bigger kick out of just seeing people who are watching you play like oh no like that weird Japanese weird running game one night and then the next night you're beasting people at like this <laughs> top tier game like they just they don't know what to think like they're like what the hell's going we didn't know Pete was good at shooters what the hell's going on here
0: <laughs> well I mean people don't really know if people followed me in the early days of YouTube they would know mm. that I'm sh- I used to be huge into <laughs> shooting games like yeah. first-person shooters, third-person shooters. You know, well, I used to play the Call were, of Duty games. They knew you all liked the them,
1: but they didn't maybe know how good you were at them. I guess is the big. <laughs>
0: difference. I guess, I guess not. I mean, yeah, I was pretty much any shooting game that I ever gravitated towards, I was good at. Um, yeah. You know, some of my better games, I was good at every Call of Duty game. Mm. And I know everybody says they're good at Call of Duty, but let me put it to you this way: <laughs> I, I stopped playing Call of Duty once Modern Warfare Two came out. Mm. But it was the point where, like. Every single game that I played in Call of Duty, um, I pretty much never had less than 10 kills every single game. <laughs> every game, at least 10 kills. You know, upwards of 20, typically, in every single game I played. Um, SOCOM, I mean, nothing needs to be said about SOCOM. People know about that already. <laughs> um, but I was in SOCOM, the series, I was a leader of a clan. And, you know, I led that for many years. And I was, one of the at one point, one of the top, like, 20 players in the world. Uh. Consistently, I was just one of the top players in, in all the releases of SOCOM up until they moved it to PS3. Yeah, um, I'm Halo, just- <laughs> Halo Two. I, I mean, I was in a top competitive clan at the time. We were doing tournaments on. Uh, at the t- it was game battles, and we were you know we rarely ever lost a game. I was mm-hmm. playing that all the time, and uh, I think the last shooter that I played and I was really good competitively was. Um, Probably Kill Zone 2. Uh, that's like the one where I just started really losing my ambition. I bought Killzone 3 and I didn't really feel the same about that that mm-hmm. I did about Kill Zone Two.
1: I thought um, the resistance games, like because to me I always thought Kill Zone oh, and Resistance them, yeah. were interchangeable, you know, because they were around the same time, they had a lot of the same themes, people sometimes confuse them. But Resistance was more fast paced. Yeah, resistance was really fun to play and really. I loved really Resistance
0: to too. Another game that I was just Killer at, especially the second one. Uh, Killzone, what I loved about that though, it had a really weighty feel to it. The guns Deliberate. all had weight to them. Yeah, I just loved the sort of game. heft. You, oh god, you Mag. Play, oh, man, man I'm just Black? thinking of all these shooters at <laughs> Unreal Tournament on yeah. the Xbox. Uh, not the PC. Get that oh, PC garbage PC. out of you.
1: <laughs> what are you talking? That's the only way to play Unreal no, Tournament.
0: Unreal Championship on the <laughs> Xbox and then Unreal What was it? Unreal Championship <laughs> 2 on or 3? I don't remember. On the that, 360. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, I used to destroy kids with it.
1: Man, next you're gonna tell me you played Counter Strike on Xbox like one or original Xbox now, aren't you?
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't go that far. Okay. But, man, all these shooters—like, I really hope that I can get back in the shooters at some point because I feel you like really I've want missed. To,
1: though, I mean,
0: I feel like I've been missing the boat on some great releases. I just really struggle to to enjoy them anymore. Really, I find when I go online, they're just. Super competitive to the point where if you don't do nothing but play that game, you're just going to get destroyed and you're not going to have a fun time. Because yeah. I, mean, I, I, I like think that that's what happened games. with fighting games. Fighting games and, and first-person shooters where eSports has just become like... People, all Ultra they do is just play one game yeah. for months and months and years. And to play it casually anymore? I don't know, it's just not not something that I'm I'm really into. Because let me don't get me wrong, when I played those games, I didn't play them casually. Yeah. That's all I played. So whenever I was playing a Call of Duty or a halo or you know a kill zone or a resistance or something that's pretty much all i was playing team fortress mm. Psh. need i not remind some of my old school <laughs> twitch viewers that i was an expert spy if you were around back in the day to watch my streams how did i already
1: know you were the spy without a you
0: bovine, <laughs> all i played was the spy <laughs> hundreds and hours of the spy i didn't even bother with other classes mm. the only time i would switch classes is just for the hell of it to break up the boredom of dominating (laughs) i'm telling you i used to stream it i would just play exclusively as the spy with one setup i used to use um Mm -hmm. god i forget the names i used to use the the watch that would cloak you and it would refill your cloak meter when you stood still Mm -hmm. so it would essentially let me stay cloaked infinitely and then i would use the dagger where when you got a kill it would um he would disguise you immediately with no kill sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a sneaky little bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I would be able to kill and no one would even be able to hear me coming up and I would just be able to stay stealth pretty much infinitely. Oh, God. Team Fortress 2, I'd miss it, but it's just not the same to me anymore because if I were to go back, the learning curve would just be gargantuan to get back into well, that game like you having said to relearn the, and all like the you new said weapons. in the past
1: you feel like if you're not dedicating the amount of time to be really good at least in the top 10 percent of a game like it's probably not worth your time to play it in a way it's tough for you to kind of like step down and just play casually and you know it that depends
0: play. how you view first person shooters like mm-hmm. if you could play a shooter casually more power to you but i know my mentality that's why i avoided overwatch everybody's like oh have you played overwatch no you because you because i know that, that if i, I played memory. overwatch I would be addicted to that shit because it just seemed like the perfect combination for me. Yeah. Where class-based first-person shooter with a great art style. I know I would have fell in love with it, but I had to make that decision where I had to decide between, do I want to play nothing but this first-person shooter or do I want to be able to continue streaming and play a variety of games? Yeah, I mean... And I chose variety of (laughs) games and streaming.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where, I, I mean, you know... For myself, I'm sure most people on my stream they probably think I'm not that good at games because I haven't really excelled at any one genre. I don't tend not to. You just, you just a need lot to games. whip
0: out the Street Fighter extreme <laughs> Well,
1: before. I mean that's the thing, right? I mean I spend way too much time playing Street Fighter over the last I don't know 15, 20 years of my life that I feel that I'm finally able to break away from that ultra focus. And you know I didn't even play it competitively, like like I didn't play at some esports level, but I played it competitively enough where. I spent an inordinate amount of time on it. And finally, with Twitch especially, I was able to kind of pry myself away from that daily Street Fighter two, three hour grind of just playing ranked people online and dealing with the frustration of trying to get better and be, you know, be better. But I really, I mean, to what you're saying, it's like being able to play a variety of games and a relaxing atmosphere like on Twitch now, it really has like Finally, got me out of that mode. And I think it's, you know, it's not a destruct. I mean, any self, any addictive behavior like that is obviously bad at some point, but man, getting really good at games at like an esports level like that, I mean, that'll definitely do that to you, where you just end up playing nothing but that game and, you know, can really. Really put blunt your view on games. So I'm glad I'm out of that phase right now. But yeah, every now and then I'll bust out Street Fighter on the stream just to let people know I can still play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just let them know you're still good at video games. Yeah,
1: exactly. Don't want to lose all my cred, you know?
0: <laughs> That's why it was, it was pretty funny where people were watching me. They were watching me play Fortnite and they're like, Matt Pete is just ripping people up right now. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I do, part. I do play modern games every once in a while. It's just that, you know, it's, it's been, it's been quite a bit since I've, really gotten into one or, or streamed one. It was so funny, though, the that's Fortnite hilarious. stream. That was the most viewers I've ever had yeah, in a stream of the game.
1: So, well, I mean, brand new game. I guess that mode came out that day. I guess that's maybe? what it was. Yeah,
0: okay. It was like a day or two old, but still, I peaked at like 350 viewers, and all the trolls came out. Like, it was just so <laughs> stereotypical. We had so many <laughs> trolls in chat where, like, if I died, they're like, ah, oh, you're trash. I'm like, yep, <laughs> here they come.
1: Uh, might as well just stream PUBG at that point. It Jesus the exact
0: Christ, same like, I could not props to streamers that do nothing but stream those type of games let me tell you you gotta have I mean not that not saying I don't have this thick skin but I'm just imagining what it's like (laughs) to be one of those guys that streams for thousands of people and you get killed and like you have that group of people in chat that's just like you're trash at this game it's (laughs) like yeah that's why streaming I'm telling you Pick the retro games. Everybody yeah. there is... Much easier. You've a nice. yeah. much more
1: friendly crowd coming in. They're not going to jump all over you if you fall down a pit in Super Mario Brothers. Well, maybe some will.
0: <laughs> so, know. last game I'll talk about before I hand it over you to Bovine mm-hmm. is um, Gundam Versus. Oh, I, I yes. played that that one night on stream, and I know there's a few of us that have picked it up, and we're going to try and get some team oh, games in together. Yes. Uh, now, I am new to this series. I've never played any of these Gundam Breaker type, you know, fast paced virtual, virtual on games. style Gundam games that are apparently it's been really big in Japan for many years. And mm. I remember seeing the series, but I'm like, ah, eh, you know, I'll wait, maybe eventually it'll come to the US. And the time has finally come. Gundam Versus. And I must say I was very overwhelmed. They give you like ninety mechs or something ridiculous from all <laughs> the series right from the start. Everyone can plays plays completely different. The game is hyper fast paced. And you are at a disadvantage, however, unfortunately, when you go online because you're going to play against people that have played other games in the series because they import them. And it's quite a big game for people to import in America because you don't really need to know any Japanese. Mm -hmm. So I was able to tell right away when I was up against somebody that was familiar with the series because I couldn't even freaking touch them. There's a lot of dodging mechanics in this game, so they're like flipping and flying all around, (laughs) dodging my attacks. I couldn't even land a freaking hit. So I knew straight up when I was playing someone that was just a pro. Because when I was ranking? playing someone evenly matched, it was just a really close game. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, but let me tell you, when this game works, it works. Like it feels so good to get kills. <laughs> it's just, it looks beautiful when the game is not lagging online. I mean, it's just so satisfying to play with some of these Gundams and see what their, you know, combos are and their attacks are. It, it's it's a really fun game. Probably when you play with friends, but when you're playing with strangers, it was having some lobby matchmaking lag issues. Uh, and when you're playing people that just destroy you with no effort, you know, it was a little little frustrating. But I'm telling you, once we get together and we do some, like, three-versus-threes or team games or whatever, I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Definitely a private server game, I think. That's where all the fun will be.
0: Yeah, private servers. The, the problem is just convincing enough people to pick it up and get online on one night to host a private server. Mm-hmm. Luckily, though, this game has a great server system. Oh, does where it? That's it's good. got it's got private lobbies where you can just customize and like what? there can be multiple a modern games game going on at once. that actually lets you set up a lobby and invite friends on her. Oh, I know. <laughs> Imagine if Godzilla did that. Oh my God. If Godzilla had this game's lobby system, I would never leave. Godzilla.
1: <laughs> I still don't understand why that's such a hard thing to implement. I mean, good God. It's like, freaking 2017 now you can't put together i mean it's not even that they don't do they don't give you all the options available they don't even give you the bare basic framework to play somebody online that you know it's it's really ridiculous not to go off on godzilla's network mode again but still ridiculous
0: i guess i'll end there uh i played some horror games but i think what i'm going to do is um next time we record the podcasts you know i'll probably just do like a big recap of all the horror stuff because i'm going to be playing nothing but horror this month so i'll do a, a big recap on all the horror not all of them but the highlighted horror games that i've played up until that point on the next episode Sounds uh, good. Just so that you know we can give bovine a chance to talk about a couple more games <laughs> Man, and play. i will
1: i will wait for Pete to hear that recap since i will not play a single horror game this month <laughs> so but uh, let's see what are the game? oh so there was a couple games i really wanted to highlight within the past month or so so there's this one game and you know we don't talk about too many of these kind of games but there was this indie steam game that i was able to check out and purely by you know coincidence because the creator of the game and the game's name is called savage the shard of gosen this is an independent steam game that's being completely developed from soup to nuts floor to ceiling by one guy and this guy's name is tobor prime t-o-b-o-r-p-r I-M-E. So this gentleman, he ended up hanging out, I think in my stream or Pete's stream. He basically started kind of, you know, wiggling his way into our retro community. And, you know, I mentioned that he made this game and I said, Hey, it'd be great if we can take a look at it. I wouldn't mind checking it out because he described it as essentially a love letter to the original 8-bit platformers, the great ones like Castlevania, Battle of Olympus, Zelda two. These were kind of the great games that he decided to create a game and pay homage, pay homage to those style of games. So, he gave me beta key, so We set up a night to basically have him in the room in my in my stream as we played through uh, whatever current build he had of the game at that time. And I got to tell you, this, you know, I've talked about it before. How there's like a number of retro-inspired indie games that I really want to start jumping into because there's a lot of them. I have not played like Hyper Light Drifter and similar 8-bit pixel style games. You know, I, I want to go in and play them. I just haven't set the, set aside the time to do that figure why not just jump into this one as my first one and so we spent a good you know six seven hours just playing through his build you know his game and having him in there and he was taking in comments suggestions from people in my stream and the game itself plays really well I mean you can tell this game was made by someone who was a fan who grew up playing all of the great retro games that we you know talk about and so lovingly you know take care of now in our stream days here Pete and myself and you know, this guy, Tobor Prime, he's cut from that cloth. And you can just tell based on the game. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of Battle of Olympus. It's just one of my favorite games for the NES. A lot of Zelda 2. And just really well-designed graphics, gameplay, music, all created from this one guy. And, you know, going through the game, it had the feeling, I mean, how do I best describe it? Because he's pulling elements from all of these games. But he's not trying to just create a carbon copy with his style and feel. I mean, it definitely feels like an adventure game in the sense that you can move around from... There's an overworld map that combines all of the side-scrolling levels. And once you get into the side-scrolling levels, there's mini-bosses, you know, end-level bosses, numerous items you can pick up. There's a crafting element to it. Very light on the crafting element, which I like because I'm not a big fan of crafting. But you're Mm -hmm. able to pick up multiple weapons, items, gain new moves. Just a really well designed, you know, retro inspired game. And I know for a lot of you who may already be familiar with that genre on the indie scene, you're probably thinking, well, what sets this one apart from, you know, all the other retro inspired windy games? Because it's starting to become, I guess, more of a glut where there's a lot of those style games that show up. But again, I really think it, it, it does a lot to be able to get into the head of the designer of the developer himself and kind of see what he was going for and he was very open to the criticisms that we had and he was going to go in and make some changes like there were some levels that ran a little long like the cave scenes just went too long before you got to the end bosses it took a long time to even get to the main overworld map but once you get to the overworld map and the game opens up just infinite possibilities for this game and i'm you know hopefully as he's going to be done with this game within the next couple of months and i'm you know looking forward to playing like a final build of it as we get closer to it but savage shard of ghosts and like If you're a fan of the original NES Adventure-style games, this is an updated version of those, you know, of of an era of those games from our past. Definitely take a look at it. Savage, The Shard of Gosen. Very cool game.
0: Is he going to be launching um, on any platforms other than PC.
1: I think initially he's going to be, I mean, obviously initially it will be on steam, but he is, I think he was looking into, I believe he said the switch and possibly the handhelds. I know the switch was one
0: uh, switch would be a very good choice. (laughs) It seems like, it it seems like if you get an indie game that ends up on there right now, like it just takes off, take golf Story for example, which I have not yet played, but here, nothing but good things. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are discovering that game simply because it's a indie game on switch. Whereas if that game had just ended up on Steam or something, it would probably would fly under lost. the radar. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, hopefully... <clears> yeah, <it's throat> I mean, buddy.
1: I don't know how tough it's going to be for him to push himself as a single developer to get it up there, but hey, you know, to get people's word out, it will definitely get it to more platforms. I know it's something that he has designed uh, or he has plans for in the future, but really solid action-adventure platforming game. And I highly recommend you guys uh, check it out. So you can find it on Steam, Savage Shard of Gosen. And nice. then the last game... I wanted to speak about here. Let's see, what I look at. Okay, so there was this one game that was recommended. So basically what I did, I had a stream where you know, we took all the bit donations that everyone, all my viewers and followers had been generously donating to the stream. I wanted to make sure that we sent all that money back into the stream and by having an eBay game hunting stream now. It's basically the same thing Pete did. Of course, I got to steal all the great ideas from Pete. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we took all the bit donations that everyone had generated and donated to the stream. I doubled up on it, so whatever the amount was, I just basically matched it. And we took everyone for a ride on eBay to just look for games to be, you know, purchased and streamed on future streams for my page. And it was, you know, it was always a fun time to go check out, you know, what crazy games are being overinflated and what what lots will go for, go what prices as we go searching around. But there was this one game that was picked out by Chaos Zero, who's been a, you know, pretty he's been a very faithful follower and viewer for my stream. And he recommended this game. We were looking at, oh, I can't remember what it was. We were looking at some Someone had recommended like a battle bots arena style game. I'm trying to remember what the original game was, but we were sitting there with the chat trying to figure out if this was a game we wanted to pick up because it looked okay and it looked like there was some. I think maybe it was Darth Nate that had recommended it, but then Chaos jumps in and he says, "Hey, you guys, if you are you know looking at this game and trying to make a decision on, it, you guys need to take a look at this other game called Unholy War." So this is Unholy, the Unholy War on PS1.
0: I always remember seeing the cover for this game. It's got like that lizard on it, right? But I don't don't think I've ever checked this game out.
1: He looks like the Vindicator from Spawn, like the main enemy guy. Right, right. So that's the only thing that ever stuck out to me in my mind whenever I saw this game. And it's from Crystal Dynamics and published by Eidos. And yeah, the cover of it is this lizard guy who looks like the the Violator from Spawn. And I didn't know what to expect. But when we, we popped it up, we brought up a YouTube video, took a look at it. And the first thing that struck me was that, well, okay, so the action is a lot more fluid. There's a lot more speed, and things seem to run a little bit smoother than the original whatever BattleBots game we were looking at. I, I have to look back and see what it was because we kind of left it in the dust. But we took one look at it and said, hey, let's let's grab this one because they were both around the same price, like 10 bucks, nothing too expensive. So we got it in, popped it up on stream. And I'll tell you this, the minute it booted up and it took me to the player selection screen, the very first game that stuck out, the first name of the game that stuck out to my head as I started playing it, was one of my favorites of all time, and that's Star Control 2. So for anyone who are fans of Star Control 2's melee mode, if you're not familiar with it, Star Control mm-hmm. 2 is where you could play against the AI or another player where you would have a team of ships. and They're all unique ships with their different abilities, different energy, different speed, different weapons. And you would essentially pick one of your team to go against you know, one of the enemy team. And you don't know what kind of matchup you're going to be headed into because there's it's basically like a fighting game, essentially, where you have two sides of different ships, Different mechanics, different attributes, and you just go at it until you, you know, whoever's the first one to lose all their ships, you know, and or their sides lose. So this game is exactly that. The Unholy War is a melee, you know, war-style game. I, can't, I don't know what you call those games, but...
0: um, Maybe, like, Arena, yeah, arena
1: Fighter? I, basically, I, it was an Arena Fighter. So once you pick your players, you get thrown into this, you know, small 3D map and you're just kind of juking around flying around you know trying to take each other out and you're just trying to defeat the enemy so you can move on to you know the next enemy on the team until one side is defeated and again i love that style of game and, you know we were just talking about Gundam as well just the idea of you know man you know verse one on one combat in an arena style combat game the and the funny thing about the unholy war is that the variety of the ships or they weren't really ships they were characters but they kind of looked <laughs> I guess they were creatures. I couldn't tell exactly what they were. Because sometimes it looked like someone was riding a ship. Or some, one looked like a jet that you can fly around. And the jet special move, when you initiate it, it was just... It went into this kamikaze mode where the camera would zoom like 100 feet up into the air. And you would get a top-down view of the map. And it would just have a cursor on the map. And you were just trying to aim yourself on where the enemy was to be able to kamikaze self-destruct on top of I am mean, just little... A lot of unique personality in each of the units, and if you're a fan of these kind of arena-style combat games, this Unholy War game, I don't know if it's a, like a well-known game, if people talk about it, but this is one that I had nothing but fun with from the minute I booted it. And there's an extended mode to the game that is similar to like a strategy chess game, so you have your main melee mode, which is what I just described. Then you have a more in-depth kind of slowly like moving chess pieces around the board game. And then once they met, then you get into the arena battles. This is kind of like an extended way to play a game. But to me, honestly, if you just get another player to learn all the moves and matchups for the vehicles and play one versus two, this is one of those games that you can lose, you know, hours and hours and hours to just trying to get into the nuances of what the matchups are from one an anim- or from one you know, robot race to the next really, really fun game. And thanks a lot, chaos, for recommending that one. Highly recommend unholy war for people out there who are interested in this kind of game.
0: And I think it's a pretty common game too. Cause I always remember seeing that game, like just like vaguely in my memory, like every time I go and look through a bin of PS one games or something, like I yeah, just always a- remember seeing the cover. <laughs> That's why I kind of remember it. So well.
1: yeah, it's one of those ones you just flip through and say, oh, okay, yeah, it looks interesting. and You just go right by it. So
0: just, just another example of PS one. Once again, like, there goes another $10 game that kind of flies under the radar, and you decide to give it a chance, and there you go. You get an evening of fun out of it. That's what I love about the PS1. I just absolutely love how affordable that system can be if you just look past the RPG. So,
1: I think... Absolutely. Totally agree with that, Pete.
0: (laughs) I think I need to do one more thing before I forget. Okay. And that's thank... Thank people that I've forgotten to thank on iTunes <laughs> for the past episode or so. Um, now, here's the thing. It's been so long since we've thanked iTunes reviews that uh, I couldn't remember where we left off. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to thank all 18 of you all over again. So some of you are going to get double thanks, double thanks for all of your very generous reviews that you've left for us on iTunes. That has helped push us occasionally into the top video game podcast on iTunes, which, you know, I say it every time, but it's great because it helps people discover the podcast outside of our Twitch audience, which is then in turn good because then you know we might bring in some new members to the retro community that we've got going on on Twitch. It's always great to get some new faces. So thank you. Starting from newest to oldest, Black Magic Three Thousand, Similarian, ZBRST. Uh, Gettysburg six seventy five, Mister Mackey nineteen eighty five, The Real Padrino Punk Rock Time Zone, Sergeant Pepper eight oh one, Shooter Q, Apple Winds eleven, Colton Murphy, Surake, Cokehead, Two Million, Gemini NYC eighty, Dig three eleven, Doug, which once again is the uh, guy that did or let us borrow and use the opening and ending songs for the podcast. Uh, Eugene Jenkins, and the original review lever, Jbis Blue. Jabez. So thanks, everybody. <laughs> Appreciate all of your five-star, very, very generous uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes. It does help the podcast, so thanks to those of you that took the time out to leave that. And to close out the show, we'll just remind you guys that um, you can listen to this show on iTunes or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash podcast. And don't forget that SoundCloud has a really cool feature where you can uh, you can leave comments and timestamps in in the track itself. So you know, next time you're listening on SoundCloud, feel free—we check them. Uh, you know, feel free to leave us a, a little comments in the middle of the show. So if there's something that you hear while listening to the podcast, just like leave a little annotation. It lets you do it, and it'll it'll timestamp your annotation to that part of the podcast. And it's kind of fun too for other people that listen. On SoundCloud, they can listen and uh, you know they might see your messages pop up on there and be like, oh, that's what so-and-so said about this part of the podcast. So it's a cool little feature. You can also download the episodes directly on SoundCloud as well uh, if you don't want to just stream them. You can also submit us questions and comments and topics that you would like us to potentially talk about in the future. Sorry, once again, we have another episode where we didn't get to any questions, uh, but maybe next episode we can kind of... Revisit some of the questions that maybe you guys sent us in Discord or email or in stream. So if you have any questions or comments or topics of discussion, the more specific the better. General topics are okay too. Just uh, contact us in many, many one of many ways. Um, there's also a Retro Game Explorers Discord that I've set up in my Discord. So it is limited to subscribers on my Twitch but you can also leave us questions in there if you're subbed me on Twitch. I should probably join that one. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, it's completely optional. Uh, anyway, I think. Uh, oh, and I want to apologize to anybody on Patreon. We we've just had a lot. You know, let's just say that the scheduling of this podcast sometimes can be a little little shaky with our schedules. So, uh, like tonight, we're recording on a Monday night at almost uh, three in the morning. We're ending. So. Uh, sorry to those of you that signed up on patreon for the early access we're gonna i'll try and think of a way that maybe makes that a bit easier like maybe we'll record podcasts like i don't know a week ahead of time instead of just a couple of days ahead of time before we release them i'll think of something but for now i guess we'll we'll (laughs) we'll just thank you guys for for hanging in there between you know the sometimes two week long wait and um We'll see you guys in the next episode. Is there anything else that you wanted to close with, Bovine? No,
1: just saying we're going to try to get better, get on a more consistent schedule so we don't leave anybody hanging or have you guys drop off because we're flakes or anything like that. But, yeah, once again, just want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the podcast. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it wherever you are listening to it, either on the road, commuting to work, in the background, whatever it is. Just Glad we can share some of these retro thoughts with you guys. Thank you for all the five star reviews and iTunes and look forward to chatting with any and all of you out there. And just as a note, um, I don't know, future stuff. I'll be at Portland Retro Game Expo this month, uh, October 21st, 22nd, 23rd. So if anyone's in Portland around the area, stop on by, check out the vendor floor. Don't try to steal any of my deals, but definitely come <laughs> by and say hi if you want.